You're listening to audio from Christ Covenant Buckhead. If you're interested in learning more, visit ChristCovenantBuckhead.org. Well, if I, uh, I haven't met you, my name is Jason, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here. We've been in a sermon series over the past uh, several weeks now uh, on family worship. Um, and uh, really what we're, our hope is in this series is that, that worship, that the love of God would be central, uh, not just one hour a week, but it would be central in your homes. It would be central among your families. We talked a few weeks ago, the first week of the series, just about the why of family worship. Why is this so important? And, and how are we to think uh, as believers long-term about our faith, not just uh, about our faith, but generationally about our faith, about the work of the Lord in our family ongoing. Last week, uh, if you were here, we talked about the what of family worship. Really, what is this thing? What, are, what is our goal in this? And uh, we really want a family that loves Jesus, His Word, His church, and His mission. So how are you, uh, particularly dads, moms, how are you leading your family to love Jesus, His Word, His church, and His mission? But, but today, I'm just going to get really, really, really practical with you and talk about the how of family worship. How are you supposed to act this out? How are you supposed to actually do this in your family? And particularly, how are you supposed to have a, an intentional, scheduled, particular time of family devotion or of family worship? If you're uh, if you if you got here today, you need a couple of things. I know we like loaded you down with with paper on your way in, but uh, I hope everybody grabbed the, the family worship guide. Everybody get one of these. If you don't have it, you really need one. I hope we had enough copies for everybody. And then also the, the little bullet, and we're going to be referencing both of those uh, today as we go through um, this time together. Now, I know if you're single or maybe you're like kind of past your main parenting stage, you may be thinking, well, you know, okay, great. Um, I can zone out and, and check out my Instagram feed uh, until we start singing again because this doesn't really apply to me. But no, it applies to all of us. As I said last week, first of all, this is really just a sermon series on disciple making. And so if you're a believer, uh, this is something that Christ has commanded of you to be a disciple maker, to make disciples. And so we're just applying disciple making in the home. But you can apply this stuff anywhere. So I think it's helpful in that regard. And then, and then also, if you're single, if you're married without children, if you're married without children, I, I hope that there's already a rhythm of family worship just in your small uh, coupled family. Uh, but if you're single and hoping to be married, you, you should be thinking about these things. You should be preparing for these things, so it's helpful for you. If you're kind of past those child-rearing years and you're kind of moving into the grandparent years, this can be applied to grandparenting also. So this really is for everyone here today, and I think it's going to be very helpful for us. We're going to read a passage of Scripture that we're really actually not going to study in particular, but it, but it just shows as through as all the Bible uh, this, this theme, this idea uh, of, of generational disciple-making, and that's really what we're talking about. So if you have your Bibles, let's look at Psalm 78 just to get us started. Psalm 78, verse 1 through 8, and uh, I think we'll have the, the passage up here on the screen as well, and it's also in your little bulletin. So Psalm 78, uh, verse 1 through 8, this is, uh, of course, the psalmist writing under the inspiration of the 
Holy Spirit of God, and these words therefore come to us with the kind of authority of the words of Jesus. So let's hear his word. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which He commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments, that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast and whose spirit was not faithful to God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, in the 1990s, uh, there was this great Saturday Night Live sketch, and it, it had everything that makes a Saturday Night Live skit good. Uh, it was really funny. Uh, it was really um, awkward, you know. It, it really had everything great about a Saturday Night Live sketch. And it also was kind of convicting. It, it kind of pointed uh, to the, the watchers. It, was, it, it really was kind of to the man, very revealing. Uh, and it was, it was called a dysfunctional family dinner. It was with Will Ferrell, Anna Gosteyer, and, uh, you know, I think Sarah Michelle Geller. And uh, some of y'all, you may remember this skit. Uh, you may not, but it's one that I've always kind of remembered. It's, it's incredibly awkward, but in the best way, this family's sitting around, they're eating dinner together, and, and about three times in the dinner, they have this big family blow up, and they start arguing with one another. In the middle of the argument, the Will Ferrell character, the dad character, starts saying, you can't talk to me like that. I am a division manager. I am in charge of 29 people. You know, and then at one point, you know, to, to appease the argument, he yells, you can't talk to me like that. I drive a Dodge Stratus. <laughs> but I think this, as I said, I think this skit is incredibly re- revealing. As funny and as awkward as it is, I, I think it kind of speaks to how a lot of us live and act. In, in a place like Atlanta, in particular, where it's a work-heavy environment, Men and women both in this community can bring their work identity home with them. And you're important in the home, you think you're important in the home because you're a division manager, because you're a doctor, because, you know, you're in finance, you're doing this, you're doing that. And and these kind of identities come home with us. They can become all-consuming. We, we certainly uh, even think about our spiritual life this way. I have a lot of conversations with people, and they say, you know, I really want a church that's kind of easy. After all, I'm busy, and so I want a church that's kind of easy, I can kind of get out of, that I can kind of, that'll do a good job doing these things for me, that'll do a good job with evangelism. In fact, I've, I've had a lot of people say to me even like, look, I just kind of leave evangelism, discipleship up to the professionals, Right? That's not really my area of expertise, Christianity. I'm, the, I'm a division manager. I am a doctor. I am this. I am that. You know, you're a pastor. I'm not a pastor. 
And I think that if there's anything that I want us as a church to take away from this series, this whole sermon series on, on, on family worship, is that in your home, with your children, I, I don't want you to subcontract out your Christianity to a Christian school or to a church or to a professional. That's not God's design. It may work with your lawn service. It may work with your dry cleaning. I'm not saying you have to do your own laundry or cut your own grass. If you want to subcontract out those things, you can. But this responsibility that God has given you to raise your children up in the love and the fear of the Lord it is not something that you can just give away. It, it, when you're in the home, you're not a division manager. You're a dad. You're a mom. You're someone that God has given this enormous responsibility to, and in the grand scheme of eternity, a greater responsibility to than the 29 people that you oversee at the office place. And, and I think if any thing that I want you to take away from this series is that I, I want you to begin seeing your life like that. You know, the truth of the matter is, everybody in here, if I were to say, what's the most important thing in your life? You know, everybody would say, well, it's my relationship. Most of you, if you're a Christian, you would at least, you know, it may not be true of you, but you would at least want to say, well, it's my relationship with God and my relationship with my family, right? You would at least want to say that. You know that's the right answer. And so what I'm just trying to do with this series is to align your schedule, how you live, how you parent, with what you're already saying is the most important thing in your life. So we're going to be really practical today. Again, we've talked about, if you missed the sermons, uh, I, I encourage you to go back and listen to the, the previous two sermons. But we're going to be practical. How do you do this? And particularly, family worship encompasses more than just a time of family devotion. But in particular, I, I just want to talk to you about how do you have a particular time where your family is coming together and talking about spiritual things, where you are intentionally training up your children in the way of the Lord. Now, I come to you today as a recipient of this and also as someone who is struggling and oftentimes failing at trying to do this with my own family, okay? So again, I, I don't come to you today as probably a, a very good model. I, I come to you today as someone who definitely received this. You know, my dad, every morning at the breakfast table, my mom would be over there kind of packing our lunches for school, and my sister and I would sit down at the breakfast table, and he would just read God's Word to us, and we'd pray as a family. Very simple. But, you know, you look back at your life, and you think, man, I, I had that every morning of my life for all these years. It it, it so shaped me. It so shaped my worldview. It so shaped my understanding of the Lord. It so shaped my heart. Now, again, you know, right now, as I said, I'm a parent, and I want to be faithful in this. I've, and I'll just tell you right now, it's hard. I've got a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old, and the four and the two-year-old are boys. So it's really hard. And so I, I don't want you to have the this misconception of the D's house, right, as I talk about these things. It's not like my children march into the living room single file line, sit there on the couch with their arms folded and say, that's a wonderful biblical insight, Dad. <laughs> that's not what's happening. It is a challenge. It is a challenge for us, but it is a challenge that is worth taking on. Now, I know some of you are thinking, man, you know what, this probably, this does sound good. 
But I, I, we are just so stretched already. I cannot do just one more thing in my life. You can't ask me to do one more thing. I'm struggling to do all the stuff I've got right now. And I just want to say, again, I'm not asking you to do one more thing. You know, me asking you to do one more thing is to, like, split your recycling into separate bins or to hand wash your car every week or, you know, to take up cycling because it's good for your joints. That's me asking you to do one more thing. I'm asking you to, to prioritize the things that are your priorities. I'm asking you to take the things that you already would say if you're a Christian are the most important thing in your life and just actually make them priorities in your life, to align your calendar with what you say are your greatest priorities. And we're not even talking about a lot of time here. When I talk about a time of family worship or family devotion, Really, we're, we're talking, I mean, in my family, it's seven, ten minutes. You know, maybe sometimes it gets a little longer. I mean, the kids get older. I hope it gets a little longer. But again, I got a two-year-old. I mean, like, ten minutes, that's amazing. But what we are talking about is consistency, consistency. So, so again, this is not a normal sermon. Uh, and if, you're, if it's your first time here, thanks for being here. Uh, we want to equip our folks. We want to equip you. I hope this is fruitful for you. This is not our normal thing, but I really want to be incredibly intentional and practical for you. And I really do hope that I would be able to, by God's grace, give some tools away today that could change not only the trajectory of your family, but of your children and then your children after, as Psalm 78 says, of, of, of your generational family that is to come. So again, I'm going to reference the family worship guide that we gave you. Um, and as I say here, the, the first kind of part of this is just a time and a place, finding a time to do this, a consistent time for family worship. And again, families do this at different times. There's some families that they, they're pretty consistent about getting dinner together every night, and they do this then. Some families, as I mentioned, my family do it around the breakfast table. Some families, they do this kind of right before they go to bed. Sometimes they maybe have one meeting a week, and then they're meeting with other kids individually. You know, if you ask, I just say, hey, what's a good goal on this of times to get together? I mean, I think a good goal, you know, do it as often as you can, but a good goal is, is two times a week. If two times a week, at least two times a week, your family is coming together, talking about God's Word, praying together, uh, singing even together, um, that is a, that's going to change the life of your family. So, again, we're not talking about a huge investment of time, but we are talking about being consistent uh, with this. Now, again, I know that no one here is saying, you know what, my family is, we're looking for things to fill our time with, you know. Thank goodness we came today because we could just do this. Now, I know that everyone here is, you feel maxed, which again is why there's this old saying that, that is so true. It's this old saying, people attribute it to Steve Jobs. I think it goes back well before him, but it says, you know, every time you say yes to one thing, you have to say no to something else. You know, Steve Jobs, he said, every idea we had, we said yes to, we had to say no to a thousand other ideas. And that's so true in your life. Every time you say yes to one thing, you have to say no to something else. You only have so much time in the day. And so I am asking you today, I'll go ahead and show my cards, I'm asking you to say no to something, right? Unless you're that rare family out there that's just looking for stuff to fill your calendar with. I'm asking you to say no to something. I'm asking you to adjust your schedule in, in what can be a very difficult way. You know, at our family, the, the, the best time for us to really read, we, we pray together at night. We, we kind of split ours up. But our Bible study, we really do in the mornings before we go to school, just like my family. You know why? 
He goes, I got stuff going on every night. Our bedtimes are weird. Our dinner's weird. And you know what? I could have stuff going on every morning too. I, in fact, I love getting into the office early. I love getting breakfast with people. I love filling up my mornings. But, but I've had to say no to that. We, just, you know, we have, I have one men's group on Thursday. Look, it's, it's hard, yeah. But other than that, my mornings are for my family. And this is our time to sit down and read God's word together. So I'm asking you to say no to something, to have an intentional time in God's word with your family. And again, this is challenging. It's incredibly, it, it is a great challenge to do. It requires discipline. It requires sacrifice. But look, here's what I know about you. You know what I know about you if your parents in here? You're already making incredible sacrifices for your family. You're already willing to make incredible sacrifices for your family. You know, I have a friend that lives in Birmingham who has a daughter who she drives her daughter to Atlanta every week to play top hat soccer, right? So any top hatters in there, it's just right down the road for us. She drives over here from Birmingham because she wants to give her, our, her daughter an opportunity to be on a really great soccer team. And they do homework in the car. I'm just thinking, I mean, what an enormous sacrifice this mother is making for her daughter. And, you know, that's all across the room. You guys are making sacrifices for your kids. You make sacrifices to educate them. Uh, you know, I know several families here, you're, you're paying to put your children through private school, which is enormous. You're involved in their schools. You're involved in their activities. And, look, I think all of that's great. I think all that's great. What my point in this is you're already making sacrifices. But are you sacrificing, are you disciplining your family around the things that are ultimately going to be valuable? Are you saying yes to temporal things and no to eternal things? Have you, have you set up your priorities? Have you set up your value? you set up your rhythms in things that will really matter in the long run? And when I say the long run, I mean in 10,000 years. You know, I like the way Paul says this in 1 Timothy 4.8. He says, physical training is of some value, but godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And, and I would just ask you this. You know, do your, does your schedule align with your values? I, I read this book recently uh, called The Ascent of Money. It was, it's a great book for me to read. I, you know, it was, it's, it talks about the history of finance. It was fascinating. And this guy goes back, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years to talk about how we really developed the, the financial system that we have right now. And he talks a lot about, you know what makes markets and what destroys markets? You know, and he talks a lot about this. You know what makes markets and destroys markets? And he's, he talks about herd mentality, right? Market starts to get hot. Things get hot. People start buying. The market begins to grow. The herd is running to the market. The herd begins to buy the market. And then it's the same thing that destroys the market, right? You know, people, you know, people get nervous. People want their money back. They pull. There's a run on the bank or whatever. They, they, it's the same thing that gets people away from the market. This is the herd mentality. It both destroys markets and it both makes markets. And it, and it destroys fortunes and it, you know, it can, it can make fortunes. But the wise investor are the investors, you know, that, that can see above the herd. You know, the Warren Buffets of the world are the ones that don't get caught up in the herd. They don't always just follow the herd. They, they, they look above the herd. They're wise. They can see patterns and rhythms going on, and they can think outside of the herd. And I just want to, hopefully this morning is a time for you to be like that, 
for you to be the wise investor of your time, to think outside the herd. You know, it's very easy, I mean, especially in like Buckhead. If, you're, if your child is eight years old and they don't know three languages and, and they're not reading Tolstoy for fun in the summer, you can start to feel like a failure as a parent. And so it's very easy in this environment to, to fill your schedule with these things that ultimately are not going to matter and to say no to the things that ultimately will. You know, one day, every parent here, you'll stand before God. And on that day, it will be clear what really matters. You know, on that day, it will be clear what it was ultimately and really valuable. Don't say no to the wrong things. Don't say no to the wrong things. You may, be, you may have to say no to a good thing in order to say yes to an ultimate thing. You know, how are you training your child in the ways of the Lord? So first of all, it's finding a time to do this. And that's really kind of my longest point here. But secondly, what do you do? And we have three kind of easy directives here, three kind of easy terms here. It's just read, pray, and sing. Read, pray, and sing. So first of all, we want you to read together. And again, we have this outlined in this family worship guide here. And you may say, well, what am, I, what am I supposed to read? Well, in our, family, in our community groups over the past few weeks, we have, done just, we have had just great resources, I think, available to you. Two weeks ago in our community group, we talked about reading Scripture and teaching Scripture. It was a very, very helpful lesson. We've been giving away uh, uh, several resources throughout this entire series. So I, I encourage you... Um, to jump into a community group. There's always great resources there. This week, actually, I'm going to be publishing a couple of videos that are going to be talking about these things online so we can help you in terms of at least teaching God's Word uh, to your family or in any setting. We have a lot of resources available uh, in the Covenant Lounge. So to get you started with this, again, I just want to bring a few of these to your attention. First of all, we gave this one away or we sold this book. We've, we are sold out but if you're, if you're a couple, let's say you don't have kids in the house, you're a couple, you're looking just for a great devotional, you're trying to get started, we really recommend this. It's called New Morning Mercies by Paul Tripp. Uh, another one that we're selling today uh, is called Morning and Evening. This has been a classic in Christian spirituality for 130 plus years. And so very much, it's just a great place to get started. And actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let some folks have some of these today. They are for sale in the lounge. But is anybody here and you're like, you know what? I, I would love just a good devotional reading. I'm married. Maybe we don't have children. I'd love to get started with good devotional reading. Did anybody in that seat today? All right, I see a hand in the back. I'll tell you what, um, Matt, you want to be my runner? All right. So that's a great resource. If you're, if you're um, a family, if you have little kids and you're like, you know, what do we read to our small children? There's two that, there's three actually that we just love. Um, the one, some of y'all, we've given this away, the Jesus Storybook Bible. Again, this is available out there. It just does such a great way of encapsulating the whole Bible into one easy to follow, easy to digest for your children book. So any, any like new parents out there that, man, could use some material? Any hands? Okay, I'll just keep this one. Uh, the, the other one we have is the Big Picture Bible. Again, just a, an incredible resource. Maybe some of y'all have read the Jesus Story Bible. Any, anybody want this one? Okay, all right. Thanks, Brett. That's my old buddy there. Uh, 
And then, and then uh, the last one we have is uh, David Murray's just exploring the Bible. This is actually a fun one for your kids. If you have a little bit of older kids, they can start reading the Bible together. It's kind of a workbook for them. So any parents with a little bit older children that could utilize this resource. When I say older, you know, eight, nine, school age. All right, ready? Okay. <laughs> Matt, I mean, one more time, one more time. Um, so again, all those, all those are available out in, uh, out in the lounge afterward. And uh, again, we just want you to be equipped. I don't want anybody here to say, you know what? I don't know what to do. I, I, don't, I have no resources uh, that can be helpful for us in this area. Now, maybe you're just like, you know what? I'm ready to just start reading the Bible. As we say here in the, uh, in the devotional guide that we've given you, we really recommend narrative scripture, just the, the parts of the Bible that tell stories. So, for example, like First, Second Samuel in the Old Testament, Genesis, the Gospels in the New Testament. We also really recommend what we call just practical books like Proverbs. They're just full of wisdom or James in the New Testament. Some of you all might be like, you know what? We're not really a reading family. We got, we got resources for you too. So the, um, there's this great new, this is, I think, new this year. Will Fulkerson actually told me about this. It's called The Bible Project. Anybody familiar with this? Have any of y'all seen this? It's fantastic. They have these short videos. They, talk, they walk through the whole Bible. There's a, a lot of just other resources on here. Uh, they're very good. They're engaging. Uh, if you're like, what is the book of Zephaniah about? Go to The Bible Project. It's, it's a great resource that can really walk you through all the Bible. If you, you're reading your Bible to somebody and you get hung up on something, again, a lot of good material there. And then another thing I just really recommend for people, for family devotion or personal devotion, is just the old, it's, if you go to the app store, it's just the version uh, app or just the Bible app. Uh, this has been around a long time. I, you know, I read an article in the Wall Street Journal that this is the 10th anniversary of the app store. And so this app's been around probably that amount of time. It's been around for a long time, but there's so many Bible reading plans on here. It'll send you a reminder on your phone. It'll keep up with it. You can like share it with your friends if you're into that. You know, it's just a great resource. So there's so many things out here, but again, the first step is to read, to inject something that is true about God into your family. That's our goal here. The second thing is to pray. Now, again, I think any prayer with your family is amazing and is fun and is great. But, again, it can be challenging. And I just want to be very honest here. I mean, two nights ago we were praying as a family, and Rainer, uh, and I'm sure John Kellis put him up to this, Rainer thanked God for poo-poo, you know. <laughs> and so, of course, like, the whole, you know, John Kellis started laughing and, you know, we couldn't get control of the kids, right? So we just, you know, I, I just finished the prayer, you know. And so it's hard, right? Okay, this is the pastor's household and my kids are thanking the Lord for strange things. But anyway, but I, I do think this is one of the greatest disciplines that you can do. Um, a couple of things here that I just want to remind you of. So some tips on this. First of all, and this is very important, remind your family and model to your family that you are praying to God, okay? A lot of times we can have family prayer and it becomes ritualistic, right? We do this before meals, we do this at night, and it just becomes kind of this thing we do. 
As the leader of the spiritual leaders of your household, remind your family, model to your family that no, it's God that we're approaching. Now, in Christ, we approach the throne of God with boldness, with confidence, right? We can, we can approach God as a loving father in Christ, but we are still approaching God. And so model to your family just this, the privilege, the beauty, the honor of approaching the throne of God, that you are praying to an almighty God. And again, your, your children will pick up on how you pray. If you want your children to acknowledge this and realize this, they'll see it uh, more than they'll, they'll hear it. Second thing is, and I think this is just the greatest thing, is to keep a little prayer journal. You know, we, keep, we take prayer requests in, every, like in community groups, among friends. I just really want to encourage you as families, when you come together to pray, ask, do you have any prayer requests? You know, we've started doing this. It's amazing what our kids will share. Stuff that I had no idea they were even thinking about. Do you have any prayer requests? And so I really encourage you to do this. And then as you just teach them prayer, write down whatever they say, pray about it. And then go back and revisit them. We want to be building in confidence in the hearts of our children to have a a faith that God is moving in their lives. So I really encourage you just to keep uh, a little prayer journal uh, and to keep up with what your children are praying for. And then number three is pray through Scripture as a family. Who here, and I know, you know, we have a lot of new folks since then. Who was here for the Donald Whitney thing just uh, that we did in January? So, you know, 30, 40% of you guys. So Donald Whitney, um, he uh, came here in January and he taught our church about praying through Scripture. All of those uh, are online. I encourage you to uh, look at them. There's a book that he wrote that talks about basically everything he said called Praying the Scripture, uh, or Praying the Bible, rather. And so um, I really encourage you uh, to check that out. But, but basically, here's the premise of it. You know, a lot of times our prayers can be very stagnant and kind of boring, right? You know, God bless me with this. God help me with this. We kind of end up praying the same things over and over again. Well, one of the very practical tools that God has given us is His Word. To use God's Word as a guide for our prayers. Using the Word that God has already given us to guide our language back to Him. And if you look here on this uh, thing, there's a section on page 3 called Praying Through Scripture. And I'm just going to read you these examples. So this is a, you know, Psalm 23, famous passage. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Y'all have read that verse before, probably most of you. And so if you would read the passage, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then look how it guides a prayer. And again, this is, I'm not praying right now. I'm just, this is a model. But Father, you have given me a great shepherd in Jesus. Who's the good shepherd? He's taken on all my sins. He's called me to himself. What more could I ask for from the privilege and honor of knowing you through him? Please shepherd my life and my family today. So you see how that works? You're you're using the word of Scripture to guide the prayers um, that you're praying to the Lord. And this is an incredible thing, not only to do individually. If you've never done this before, it'll revolutionize your prayer life. Just ask someone here that went to that conference uh, if you've never done this before, it'll revolutionize your prayer life, but it'll also revolutionize your prayer life as a family. And so I just encourage you, you know, as you're sitting down to pray, pick out a psalm and pray through it together as a family, especially if you have older kids that can read. That's just a great way to just introduce them and to teach them how to pray. It's a great thing for those of you who are married to just do with your hu- as husbands and wives together, just going back and forth, reading a verse and praying, reading a verse and praying. Um, it's a wonderful thing to do just over your family that just allowed over even small children to read the Scripture and to pray for them. So read 
pray, and then lastly, sing. Now, I know this is the one that really gets to people, right? It's like, okay, I can read the Bible to my family. I might can pray, but sing is awkward, right? And again, don't have the wrong impression here. We're not asking you to, you know, to be Matt Papa and get up with a guitar and lead your family in a time of worship. We're just asking you to, to simply just sing a few songs together with your family. Um, let me just read this. This is from our worship or our community group material this week. It says, when you sing, you are saying with your countenance, your posture, your words, and the intensity of your voice, this is how worthy Christ is. This is true. This is real. There is something about singing. It is, it is something that God has given us. You can say things that are true about God, but when you sing things that are true about God, it appeals to your body. It appeals to your heart. It appeals to your mind. It lifts you to that truth. It presses that truth deep into your heart. So again, we're not talking about you know, a concert with your family. We're talking about singing a song or singing two songs a week. Um, one of the reasons that we publish this today is that you can take these songs that we sang today and this week, and I just encourage and challenge you families to do this, to take the songs that we're singing today and just to sing them together as a family. Pick one and say, hey, we know this song. Let's sing it together as a family this week. You know, one of the things that I think every family should have is, is just a songbook, a hymnal in your own home. It's, it's a wonderful thing to have. You know, if somebody asks me, people ask me all the time, what are the books that have most shaped your thought and theology? And an honest answer to that question, one of those books for me is always the Broadman hymnal, the hymnal that I grew up singing. Because the things that you sing affect how you think. It affects what you believe. You're shaping the theology of your home in what you're talking about together, but also in what you're singing together. So I really encourage you in this. Again, if, if this is going to be the stumbling block, if you're saying, well, I'm not a singer, therefore I can't disciple my children, then just stick with the praying and the reading. But, but I just really want to encourage you, if you want to take the next step of pressing these truths into the hearts of your kids, try singing a song with your family. Training your child, training your wife, training your husband, discipling your family to know Jesus, to know his word, to know his church, to know his mission, and to love those things. This is, this is the greatest responsibility that God has given you as a husband and wife, as a parent for your family. Don't forsake this. Now, as I said, it requires a plan. It requires discipline. But the truth of the matter is, you already know this, every great thing requires discipline. Every great thing requires intentional action. You know, I say growth comes through pain, either voluntary pain or involuntary pain. Now, a lot of you have experienced growth through involuntary pain. You got sick. Somebody broke your heart. You lost a job. Something horrible happened to you. And as you trusted in Christ through that painful thing, you actually grew. You matured. Growth comes through involuntary pain, but growth also comes through voluntary pain. And involuntary pain is, is discipline. It's it's, if you will, going through a little painful thing in order to produce something great over a long time. You, you go through the voluntary pain of eating right and exercise to avoid the involuntary pain of heart disease later on, right? You go through the voluntary pain of doing your homework right now 
to avoid the involuntary pain of not being able to get a job someday, right? So you, you, involuntary pain definitely teaches us things, but I encourage you, choose the voluntary pain. Choose the pain. Choose the discipline that you can control now. And I just want to say this as Christian parents, you would much rather have the voluntary pain of saying no to something tertiary in your life in order to say yes to this ultimate thing. You'd much rather have that voluntary pain now than the involuntary pain of having your child walk away from the Lord later. You know, I can't guarantee parents, I don't have a silver bullet to say, hey, do this and your kids are going to love the Lord. I can't guarantee that. I can't guarantee that anything we do as a church, anything that I tell you to do as parents, are going to teach your child to love and adore the Lord. We can't guarantee that. But what I can say is these will at least help your children to know the Lord. My kids may reject the Lord someday, but they're not going to reject Him because they don't know Him. They're going to they're know the God that they're rejecting if they do. And I just want to encourage you in the same thing. You know, don't, don't have children that don't have a clue of who God really is. And I believe that when they know Him and see how much He loves them and, and see how good and holy He is when, they're, when I pray by God's grace, their eyes are open to see these things, they will love Him also. But this is your responsibility. This is, this is a responsibility, parent, that God has given you, and it takes time and it takes consistency. You know, whenever, this is one of the things that I, I don't like about Christianity, but it's true. You know, whenever the Bible talks about growth, spiritual growth, it always uses like plant language, like trees and like vines, you know, and like being rooted in the ground. You know, I wished it used language like, you know, immediacy language, right? Like, do this and you will be spiritually mature tomorrow, right? You know, but that's not the language the Bible uses. It, it, it's these like, you know, have you ever like watch a plant grow? No, because you can. I mean, it just takes forever. That's how, that's, but this is the language the Bible uses. It's this like consistent, faithful, over and over and over again. We read Psalm 1 earlier. I mean, hear these words. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of scoffer, but his delight, his consistent delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, listen, he meditates day and night. And day and night and day and night. But when you do that, that consistent effort, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in seasons. Its leaf does not wither, and all he does, he prospers. This is Christian growth. This is Christian life. This is Christian parenting. You know, I, I, I love analogies. And uh, this is like one of the, the, my favorite gifts that God has given me. Let's go to the next slide here. In my backyard, if any of y'all have been in my house, there's this tree. It's my favorite tree in the whole world now. It used to be the tree that you could drive through. I've been there, but I gave up on that tree. And this one is now my favorite tree. And it sits like right behind my house. I mean, I see it every day. Like these are my windows. And so when I go in my backyard, I love this tree. It's so massive. It's so beautiful. It's got this huge canopy. And I think about it because, you know, this tree is like 80 years old, maybe more. I don't know how old it is, but it's old. And I, I think about, man, that tree was once a seed. And now it has grown up 
to be this massive and strong. It just looks strong. It just sits by my mouth and just looks cool. It's like, look, I'm here. You know, you're not going to mess with me. It, it, it blossoms. You know, the, the, the leaves of it are blossoming. It's so strong. It's so steady. It's so secure. And you know how that happened? You know how that tree went from being a seed to that? Consistent rain, <laughs> consistent sunlight, consistent nutrients in the soil, day and night, day and night, consistency, and it grew and it grew and it grew and it grew and it grew. And I love having this tree. It's an analogy for me because this is what I want my children to be. I want him to be a tree. This is what I want for John Kellis. This is what I want for Mariana. This is what I want for Rainer. I want them to be a tree. I want them to be consistent. I want them to be strong, not tossed back and forth with the winds of the day, but faithful and strong and consistent and healthy and fruitful. And, and I'm the one that right now God has said, okay, water, sunlight, nutrients, feed these trees, feed these trees. And it doesn't work. You can't, you can't go out to a tree, you know, dump a ton of water on it one time and then never water it again, right? No, you got to keep watering it. And it's got to keep getting sunlight. And it's got to keep, it's got to stay grounded in good soil. And this is my dream for, for my children and for your children. And, and I'm just telling you, this is such a big part of that. It's not the only part of it. But it's such a big part of it. What are you saying yes to that's not going to produce a tree? What are you saying yes to that's not going to produce anything that lasts? Say yes to this. And look, the good news for you and me is that the invitation of Jesus to you wherever you sit today, the invitation to your children wherever they sit today is simple. You know what it is? You know what Jesus' invitation is to us? You, it's easy to listen to this sermon series and be like, oh, he's a pastor. He He's a professional. He went to seminary. No. That's not, the Jesus' invitation doesn't say go to seminary and then we'll see. No, it's just follow me. Jesus' invitation to your children is not, hey, grow up, go to a Christian school, get really educated, and then we'll see. No, it's just follow me. Follow me. Follow me right now. Follow me today. Follow me where, wherever you are. Just follow me. Who are the people that Jesus was calling to do the most important work? They weren't the educated people. You know, Jesus says, I've taken, I have taken the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And you know what? You guys are actually pretty wise. A lot of you have a lot of gifts. God has invested in you. You, you do have a lot of biblical knowledge. You can do this. Follow me, says Jesus. Take the next step. Trust me. And so, you know, as we close today and meditate on this, and again, I know this is an atypical day, but I just want to ask you, what is the step that you need to take? Jesus is always stepping toward you. He's always inviting us. He, he, he did the greatest step toward you. He left heaven itself. He left his Father's throne. He left perfect communion with God in order to commune with you, in order to step toward you. And what he says to you today is, follow me. Take the next step. Follow me. So if you bow your heads with me, I just, I just want you to meditate on that. What does follow me mean today? What is it may be a big readjustment of your schedule. It may just be changing something very small and saying, hey, let's get consistent with this. It may be calling me and setting up an appointment and saying, hey, can you give me a hand on this? I need a little help here. Don't experience involuntary pain in 25 years. 
when your children don't know who Jesus is and they don't care and it's kind of too late it's never too late but it it's easier today and so father i just pray that uh, as we meditate on these things that um, your spirit would speak we would receive the simple invitation of jesus just to follow just to trust today wherever we are for a brand new christian we're kind of on, we're facing grandparent years, if we're single and hoping for a spouse. Father, what, what, what is it that we need to do today to follow Jesus, to be obedient to his call, to be faithful in what he's called us to do? So Lord, I pray that you would speak. And I pray all this in Jesus' name.